Good morning, folks, and uh, good to see you all here. It's good to be back in fellowship once again. We were away for a couple of weeks, and it's good to be back. I continue to pray for our pastor as he spends time away. We'll be back very soon, and it's good to see others who have returned from holidays and those that are visiting with us today. Now, before we start studying this beautiful chapter in the Song of Solomon, let me just give you a little bit of a background uh, to the Song of Solomon. Uh, Firstly... The Song of Solomon is an allegory. Now, most people may not understand what an allegory is. It just means it has hidden meanings. It has symbols and it has metaphors to describe the situation. It means to interpret or to reveal the hidden meanings. In other words, or simply put, the writer is painting a picture with words. And today we will behold Christ, God willing, in these verses in a very special way. It is a most wonderful chapter in the Word of God. Let's pray and then we'll continue on. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again we give thee thanks for thy word. We thank you for this day, the Lord's day, and surely we will rejoice and be glad in it. We do pray, Lord, for all the saints that are here, that each and every one of us might be built up in our most holy faith. And Father, for those that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, we do pray that even today might be a day in their life when they repent of their sin and acknowledge Jesus Christ that there may be joy with the angels in heaven over sinners repenting and coming to thee. But Father, we do pray that your word may go forth with power from on high. Take the speaker and hide him behind the cross. Let no man be seen save Jesus only. And Father, we will be carefully give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the Song of Solomon is an allegory. Secondly, it is written in figurative language and it is very descriptive and I don't think you need me to tell you it is very sensitive very sensitive okay let's look at this beautiful passage but let's go back to chapter 1 and verse 1 just chapter 1 and verse 1 and it says the song of songs which is Solomon's that's an interesting statement The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. So there must be more than one song. It was called the Song of Songs. Does anyone know how many songs Solomon wrote? Probably keep it to yourself. I will tell you. Okay? If we turn back to 1 Kings, please turn back to 1 Kings chapter 4. And here we have the record. Of how many songs Solomon wrote. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. Well, we'll just read verse 32. Please read 29 to 34 at home, but we, for the sake of time, will just read verse 32. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32 says, And he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were. A thousand and five. A thousand and five. So, 
the Word of God tells us that this is a song of songs. It tells us that Solomon wrote a thousand and five songs. And folks, this is the best of the songs. This is the ultimate song. This is a song of songs. What a privilege we have uh, to be allowed to read and to meditate upon this song we're looking at today. I hope you really appreciate that we have the privilege of reading God's word. Solomon wrote a thousand and five songs, and this is the best of them. The Song of Solomon is a love story. It's a love story between the bride and the bridegroom. It's about their affection. It's about their love. It's about their devotion one for the other. And as such, it speaks to us of the relationship which exists between Christ, the heavenly bridegroom, and the church, his bride. And I will be reminding you of that as we go through this reading today. Now let's go through these verses which we've read together. Bernie read excellently this morning. Uh, and uh, we just want to go through these verses one at a time. We'll spend more time in some verses than others. In verse 1 we see the bridegroom coming into his garden. I am coming to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh and my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink. Yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. And here is a beautiful verse where we see the bridegroom coming into his garden, enjoying the beauty and the fragrance and the sweetness and the joy and the satisfaction of his garden. Honey speaks of sweetness. Wine speaks of joy. Milk speaks of strength and satisfaction. You know, some have likened this particular verse to Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 and 20. We'll not turn there. Please read it at home. Where Christ is in the midst of the churches. And Christ is in the midst of his garden. And he's saying, I am full of sweetness. I am overjoyed. I am sustained and satisfied. What a beautiful picture of fellowship. And the Lord wants us to have fellowship. The Lord wants to have fellowship with his people. In verse 2 we read that the bride had retired for the evening. They remember the bride is a type of the church. The bridegroom is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the bride had retired for the evening. She had gone to bed. She had finished a long day's work. Just read verse 2. I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefined. For my head is filled with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. She had finished a long day's work. It was time for rest. It was time to retire. It's time for sleep. Now, folks, there's no doubt 
She was a very hard worker. Look at chapter 1 and verse 6. Chapter 1 and verse 6 says this. Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. She spent time in the open air. She spent time outside as the sun would be beating down upon her. She was a worker and she deserved to have rest after a hard day's work. Remember, she's a type of the church. But then she heard a voice. She heard the voice of her beloved. It was at the door saying, open to me. Now here is her beloved. He's wanting to come in. He's wanting to have fellowship. He's wanting to have communion. He's wanting to have a close, personal, intimate relationship with her. He wanted to come in near to her. He wanted to come near to his beloved and enjoy her company. The bridegroom and the bride. His love was real. And he desired to be in her presence. Folks, remember, this is a love story between the bride and the bridegroom, which is a beautiful picture of the love that exists between the church and our Lord Jesus Christ, our heavenly bridegroom. So, she hears the voice. How did she react? How did she, a type of the church, react and respond when she heard the word of the bridegroom wanting to have fellowship with her. Look at verse 3. She responded with apathy. She was indifferent. Verse 3 says in verse chapter 5, I put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I've washed my feet. How shall I defile them? I've finished for the day. I've done all the work that I needed to do. I need to take my ease. It's been a hard day and I really can't be bothered. She's the bride. She's the type of the church. This is when the bridegroom comes to the door and knocks at the door. And she says, I can't be bothered with this. You know, as I read this, it sounds very familiar. You know, sometimes we as Christians can get like that, can't we? Remember, and I keep saying it, it's a picture of the church here. And here we have the bridegroom, the Lord wanting fellowship. And she was cold towards him. What about us? Is there a time when we can't be bothered? Are we ever cold and apathetic when it comes to worship times, prayer meetings, fellowship times, morning service, evening service, even private devotions? Oh, I know, folks, it's difficult out there. Sometimes it's hard. But the word of God says to us, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. 
Revelation 3.20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him and will sup with him and he, he with me. And folks, so often this verse is used out of context. This is the Lord speaking, and he's speaking to the end-time church. And folks, that's us today, the end-time church, the church of Laodicea. And he's wanting and he's desiring to have fellowship, but the church at Laodicea is lukewarm. They're indifferent, they're apathetic, and they're saying, I have done enough. I don't need to go to this meeting, and I don't need to go to that meeting, and I don't need to be involved in fellowship all the time. The question is... How about you personally? How about you personally in your own personal life? Are you lukewarm? Are you cold? Are you indifferent towards his approaches? Because he is knocking in these last days. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he's knocking at the door, as it were, of the Laodicean church. And folks, we're in the last hour, the, maybe the 59th minute of the last hour before he comes and he wants to have fellowship with his people. Amen. And his people is cold. And his people are indifferent. And his people turn away and take their ease. Are you ready to open the door? You know for sure that the Lord in these days desires our fellowship. The Lord who is immutable and never changes always wants the fellowship of his people. But those who say they are his people have gone astray. And they're cold and they're indifferent and they're apathetic and they're liberal and they're neo-evangelical and the like. And even pondering to the, the wicked the wicked minority in these days. And folks, those of us who are fundamental need to take heed lest we also fall. That's an exhortation from the word of God. Take heed lest ye also fall. Verse 4, the bridegroom persists. Keeps knocking. And the bride she begins to soften, as it were. My beloved put his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. She had compassion. He was continually knocking, and she had compassion. And she starts to soften. And she warms in her approaches. And she had compassion. And verse 5 tells us, we see her attitude changing. I rose to open to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet smell of myrrh upon the handles of the lock. Her attitude is changing. She, she's no longer indifferent. Uh, she wants to open the door, and when she put her hands upon the handle of the door, the word of God says, my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet smelling myrrh. You see, what had happened, folks, is that she came to the place where her beloved had been. And now the fragrance of his presence permeated 
her hands and she was affected by it. Folks, is that not a beautiful picture of the gracefulness of our Lord Jesus Christ? Even when we're cold and indifferent and slow to move at his bidding, when we do come into his presence, there is a fragrance and there is a sweet-smelling savor, especially after submitting to the call of his voice. Her hands had the fragrance of myrrh. Remember, he is the bridegroom, and he is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll just mention this. As a child, he was presented with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then in John 19.39, at his burial, there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about a hundred pound weight. Myrrh speaks to us of his virgin birth. Myrrh speaks to us of his vicarious death. He was born, he suffered, and he died in our place. He died for all. Folks, when we break fellowship with the Lord, it takes effort on our part to restore that fellowship. But God's word clearly teaches us that those that seek the Lord shall find him doesn't matter, in sanctification, in service, in salvation. Verse 6, the bride opens the door. And she seeks after the bridegroom. She is no longer indifferent, but yearning for his fellowship. Look at verse 6. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. And she pursues him. And folks, as born-again believers, we ought to earnestly desire and seek intimate fellowship with our heavenly bridegroom. Let me just say this. If you have been walking away, or maybe you have gone cold, we used to call it backsliding. We don't use that term very often these days. But if you've backed off, if you've gone cold, it's time to come back. And it's easy to come back. Pursue after him. Read the word of God. Brother Tony talked about that this morning in Sunday school. Pray. Attend meetings. David the psalmist says in Psalm 63 verse 8, My soul runneth hard after thee. Is our souls running hard after the Lord Jesus Christ? Verse 7 is a very interesting verse. It tells us that she came in touch with the watchmen of the city and the keepers of the walls. Folks, this was the security of the day. Uh, we might call them uh, the security on the walls and the security on the ground. And the security on the walls were to watch out for the enemy coming. And the security on the ground were supposed to protect those that were within the walls. They were the ones who were responsible for protecting everybody inside that city. Watching out for the enemy. And if they saw danger coming, they would sound out the alarm. 
usually about Trump, but enemies coming. And they would warn you, people living inside. Remember, the bride is a type of the church, and these protectors were supposed to keep her safe. But the very opposite happened. And instead of protecting her, a type of the church, they smote her, and they wounded her, and they took away her veil from her. And folks, this is a picture of what is happening today. The fragrance of the Lord is here, but he has withdrawn himself for a season. But he has raised up protectors. He has raised up keepers of the walls. Pastors, ministers, deacons, evangelists, missionaries, workers, members of independent Baptist churches to protect the church, to sound out the alarm. This is a bad version of the scripture. This song is not edifying. It's not doctrinally true. And we need to sound out the things that are bad in these days. But to a large extent, they are the ones. The pastors, the ministers, the deacons, the evangelists, and all the others, they're the ones in the church that is wounding the church, the keepers of the walls, the security. Those who were protectors were wounding the church and causing hurt and damage. And folks, that's what's happening. They're bringing in the world to the worship services. Those who stand at our pulpits week after week after week are hurting the church. They're not protecting the church. They're warning. They're not warning the bride of the dangers. Instead, they're denying the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're denying the creation account. They're denying the deity of Christ. They're denying the atoning blood. But folks, we ought not to be surprised in these days. Second Peter 2 1 says this, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false preachers among you, who probably shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. This is the days in which we're living in, folks. Jude says in verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord into lasciviousness, driven by lust, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You wouldn't think all this was in Song of Solomon, would you? And folks, those who are Supposed to be looking after the church and watching out for the enemies of God are making it into an impure thing. Verse 7 says, They took away my veil from me. In other words, they made the bride, they made this woman who is a type of the church to look like an impure woman of the night. That's what it means. An impure, no different from any other woman. In other words, as a church, no different from any other assembly, no different from any other church, no different from any other gathering. Do as you like, preach as you like, go where you like. And today they say, let's, let's all work together. Don't worry about the doctrine. Doctrine divides. Any version of the scriptures will do. 
Uh, the old hymns are outdated. They say, we don't need to sing these great hymns of the faith. Hey, our young people don't understand them. There's nothing wrong with new versions of the Bible, you know. Still the God's word. God gave us liberty to dress as we please. Nonsense, folks. Nonsense. My Bible teaches me to earnestly contend for the faith. Let us in these days be men. Quit ye like men, the word of God says. Be men, be women, be young people that will fight to maintain the integrity of the church. You young people need to get on your knees this afternoon and thank God that you are attending a fundamental Baptist church. Amen. Amen. What we need in these last days are men that will stand up. Young people that will stand up. And I know some of them are suffering the consequences of standing up in their schools. We need men like Nehemiah. Oh, I wish we had time to turn to Nehemiah. He's one of my favorites in scripture. I'm going to turn to it anyhow. Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13. I'll just read selected verses. I love Nehemiah. He was a man that stood up. Nehemiah 13, verse 4. And before this, Elisha the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. He was an enemy of God. And he had prepared for him, remember the enemy, a great chamber where aforetime they laid the meat offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of the corn, the new wine and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the least and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was I in Jerusalem. For in the uh, two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days I obtained leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood the evil that Elashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the house of of God, and it grieved me sore. Therefore, <laughs> I like this, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Folks, let's throw the world out of the church in these days. And then verse 10, And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. They weren't being paid. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled everyone to his field. He had the work and work. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God? forsaken like go right down to verse 16 there dwell men of Tyre also therein which brought fish and all manner of ware and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem and I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them what evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day then verse 21, Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? <laughs> Listen to this. If ye do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth came no more on the Sabbath. Boy, he must have been some man. He said, Hey, if you come to this 
city of you stay around these walls I'm going to take a dealing with you and they never came back he must have been some man Nehemiah verse 25 then I contended with them and cursed them that is he reviled them and smote certain of them <laughs> and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God saying ye shall not give your daughters to their sons nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves and so it goes on and on and folks were not advocating that we do that in these days but here was a strong man who stood for the things of God because things were not right in the church not right in the church you young people please don't look to Hollywood for your examples again Tony mentioned this this morning don't look to Hollywood for your examples Uh, you know don't look to the so-called sports stars Look to men like Nehemiah. Look to men like Joseph. Look to men like Daniel. Look to men like Spurgeon and Whitfield. Read Hebrews chapter 11 about the heroes, the true heroes of the faith. And then Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 is the best example we can have. Looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Behold Christ in these last days. The watchmen. And the keepers of the walls failed in their duty, failed in their responsibilities, just like so many today. Then in verse 8, we see the bride who was very anxious to meet with her bridegroom. And she starts off with a charge. O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I am sick of love. Sick because of the love I'm experiencing. The bride wanted to let others know how much she loved her beloved. And how much she longed for him. Then comes back a query. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? And here we see the the amazement or the astonishment, if you like, of the daughters of Jerusalem. They were astonished or astonished at her. They were astonished at her anxiety, her devotion, her longing to be with her bridegroom. Folks, let me ask you this question. Do people see your anxiety to be in the presence of the Lord? When it comes to Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening, can they see that you're very anxious to get into the Lord's house on the Sunday morning? Do people see your devotion and your, your longing to have fellowship with the saints and with Him? Do they ask you, what, what is it about your church? Why are you so anxious to go there? Well, you could be swimming and out in the What's the Murray River or whatever it's called up here on a Sunday? Why do you want to go to church? Why do you go there Wednesday? Why do you go there Sunday morning? Why do you go there Sunday evening? Is that not too much? What's so different about your Lord? What's so different about your church that you give up your time, your talent, your, your, your finances or whatever? What's the difference between what you believe and every other church? What is thy beloved more than another beloved. How would you respond? What answer would you give? Well, from verse 10, and we'll not take too much time, from verse 10 onwards, we have the bride's 
answer to the question. And this, folks, I believe, is one of the greatest and one of the loveliest descriptions relating to Christ in all the scriptures. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? My beloved. How would you answer? My beloved is white and ruddy. See, whiteness speaks of purity. Ruddiness speaks of the blood. And when we look at these two descriptions, we see two of our Lord's main characteristics while he was here on earth. White, speaking of purity, his sinless life. Ruddiness, speaking of the blood, his atonement as he shed his blood in sacrificial death. White and ruddiness, purity, sacrificial death. Folks, the blood that redeemed us had to be sinless, had to be pure. Otherwise, we could not be saved. We could not be redeemed. We are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ shed out of the land without spot and without blemish. The second half of verse 10 tells us that he is the cheapest among 10,000. Folks, pick any 10,000. 10,000 kings, 10,000 presidents, 10,000 prime ministers, 10,000 military leaders, 10,000 great preachers. He would tower above them all. This literally means that no matter what we think about Christ, his love, his grace, his mercy, we cannot exaggerate about him. He is the chiefest of 10,000. And when we contemplate on his glory, we think about the outshining of an inner excellence. He is the chiefest of 10,000. Verse 11 says he that his head is as most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. Folks, gold speaks of his deity. Jesus Christ, our heavenly bridegroom, is God. Black as a raven speaks of his eternal freshness. He never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is immutable. He loved us from eternity past. He loved us when he went to Calvary. He loves us presently, and he will love us forever throughout eternity. His love for us will never change, folks. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of water, washed with milk and fitly set. Folks, this teaches us of the all-seeing eyes of our God. He sees all and knows all. Our Lord sees things in their true perspective. How does he see you? The Lord sees us as we really are, with all our faults, with all our failings. He sees us through and through, and yet... He still really loves us. What wonderful love. What marvelous grace that he loved us so much. He gave his life to redeem us. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. Spices and flowers, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture this paints, as it were, of our heavenly bridegroom. Fragrant 
sweet-smelling. Folks, the world sees no beauty in our Lord. His name is used as a swear word. His creation is denied. Evolution is believed in its place. His death is, is frowned upon and treated with contempt. But we, the bride, sees his beauty. We see it well. And Psalm 45, 7 and 8 says it very good. Thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. The hymn writer got it right when he penned these words. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same. That's his lovely name. His lips like lilies, dropping sweet smear and myrrh. Here we have a beautiful description of the bridegroom and the sweetness of his lips. Never a man spake like this man. Did our hearts burn within us while we walked with our while he walked with us? By the way, folks, the fragrance of his lips brings blessing. To each one of us, each time we hear or read his word. And he desires to have this intimate, close relationship with each one of us. You need to ask yourself the question today, do you have that intimate relationship with the Lord? Very quickly, his hands speak of protection. Guidance, verse 14 it is. His hands are the gold rings set with the beryl. His belly as the bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. Hands speaks of protection, guidance, welcoming, outreaching in love. And all this according to his deity, the gold. His belly speaks of compassion, deeper inner feelings whereby he can comfort us. Verse 15, his legs speaks of strength. Bearing the weight of responsibility. He will not falter. He will not fall. He will not fail. If you get a chance when you go home, read Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 and all the names attributed to him. Verse 15, it tells us his countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. Speaks of the lofty one. The one who is able to stand tall. The one who is full of dignity and splendor. And truth, excellent in all his ways. Ezekiel 17, 23 says this. And I shall bring forth boughs and bear fruit and bear goodly cedar. And under it shall dwell all fowl of every wing. In the shadow of the branches thereof shall they dwell. A picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, he is the tender plant of Isaiah 53. He is the branch of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 4. He is the righteous branch in Jeremiah 23. He is the servant of branch in Zechariah 3, 8. He is excellent as the cedars. And there is room for all to take shelter in the shadow of the Almighty. And folks, the bride... Then comes to the end of her description. What a description she gives of her bridegroom. I wonder if we could give the same. But seeing she comes to the end of her description. The description of the bridegroom whom she loved. And I believe feeling for 
for words. She finishes off by saying this. Yea, he is altogether lovely. His mouth is most sweet to my taste. Yea, he is altogether lovely. I can't really put in words what else I can say about him. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Folks, I hope and pray that this is our testimony. The testimony of whom we say we love, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, our coming bridegroom. I hope we're able to tell others of the loveliness of Christ.